Hi there, my name is Natalie Nation, and you're listening to Feed That Nation. I'm a graduate student, I'm a future registered dietitian, I'm a health educator, a content creator, and a self-proclaimed mac and cheese expert. Feed That Nation is your place to learn about everything college and health related. It is my goal to help other college students to become more successful, more confident, and more healthy in their college experience. I upload new podcast episodes right here to YouTube and to your favorite podcast listening platforms every Wednesday, and I upload vlogs that cover college, health, lifestyle, my patio garden, and other fun things every Saturday. Go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel or subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you may be listening on. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram. I am at FeedThatNation. Check out my blog, FeedThatNation.com, where I discuss even more about college life and health topics and share fun recipes. And go check out my Pinterest. I create Pinterest boards based around topics that I cover in these episodes. Today, I'm going to be talking about taking care of yourself 101 for college students, and I will be creating a Pinterest board with that title for you to check out with all the resources I've compiled, some resources I've created, and more. Per usual, before we get into the main topic of this video, I will be giving you guys my food, my follow, and my fun for the week. These are things that have been recently uplifting me that I want to share with you in case they can also uplift you. So my food for the week is homemade ramen. And I had never ever made ramen before besides the like instant packets that you have that you microwave and they put the thing in. And I didn't really like those as a kid, but as an adult I had ramen at a restaurant where it was really good and I wanted to try making it myself. And so I did over this past weekend and it was so, so good. I used uh, just a store-bought broth from Trader Joe's ramen noodles, I made my own pickled onions and put chives on top from my garden, a little bit of toasted sesame oil. It was so, so good. Oh, and I added a six minute egg, so like a soft boiled egg that's a little bit jammy. This is by no means any kind of authentic recipe or recommendation, this is just the way I made it. I, I encourage you, if you're looking for something new, don't be afraid to try ramen, even in the summer when it's so hot out. I found it to be actually super light and refreshing and kind of like a nice change from some of the heavier meals that I know how to make. So definitely give homemade ramen a try. My follow for the week is an Instagrammer. She's a future registered dietitian and her username is vitamin re, vitamin underscore R-I. Uh, her name is Maria, so I think that's why I'm saying vitamin re, but I don't actually know how to pronounce it. But she posts a lot about nutrition, a lot about learning to love yourself. She does Q&As every week and she is just so fun and well-spoken and I just really enjoy following her and seeing her stories on Instagram. So go give Maria at vitamin underscore re a try. I will link her below. My fun for the week is something that is totally COVID and quarantine approved and that is to go on a picnic. I've actually been doing this quite a bit lately with friends that I will meet up with. We will each bring our own food and we'll sit six feet apart and we will enjoy a meal together outside somewhere. This is a, such a fun way to get to socialize, to get to spend time with people without putting yourself at risk or without putting yourself with at much risk. I would also say if the weather is really crappy where you live or if you are really feeling like going out is not a good idea for you, which I completely respect, 
go ahead and do a living room picnic with the people you live with. My husband and I actually do this all the time. More often than not, we end up having a living room picnic and enjoying our food on the floor in the living room. Sometimes we'll put on an episode of something we're both watching. Uh, lately, it's been season three of The Flash, but would definitely, definitely recommend trying out picnics. So, depending on what I end up naming this episode, the theme of the episode is more or less taking care of yourself in college 101. I feel like I've worked with a lot of and spoken to a lot of young adults, teenagers, college students, and sort of a theme among people who are wanting to chat about nutrition or wanting to chat about health is they just they aren't quite sure how to get it together. And I did an episode on this about a year ago. I talk about the nutrition starting line where essentially, well, where do you get started when you're wanting to make a change and you know that you have more negative lifestyle habits that are impacting you? How do you just get it going? And I feel like college is really that specific situation with nutrition kind of intensified because we all at some point are going to learn different aspects of how to care for ourselves. And whether this is learning the easy way, just figuring it out, figuring out what works for you and then doing it, sticking to it, that's the easy way or maybe the hard way where maybe you had to learn the hard way as a teenager that you needed to shower more often or else you stunk and smelled terrible. Or maybe you learned the hard way that pulling a college all-nighter is not an effective way to get your work done. Things like that. So I feel like more often than not, we learn these things the hard way. We learn these things through experience. We learn how to take care of ourselves as we grow. And the way that we need to take care of ourselves also changes as we grow. And it can be really challenging to be able to not only learn how to take care of yourself, but especially learning how to do it in a college environment. Because a lot of times, sort of the two themes of learning to take care of yourself in college are learning simultaneous responsibility, self-responsibility, responsibility to yourself, and also learning to hold yourself accountable. And these are really, I guess, challenging concepts, but in college, especially if you are in a more traditional college situation where you move into a dorm, you move onto campus, you might be moving across town, across the country, maybe across the world. To go to school, you're away from home for probably the first time. You are learning to, quote, adult. That's tough. All of that is really tough, but I think I'm gonna call it out and say that college does not set us up for success in most regards of taking care of ourselves because a lot of the traditional recommendations for taking care of yourselves, for example, cooking and eating nutritious food, going to work out regularly, sleeping enough, college makes a lot of this a lot more challenging. If you live in a 10 by 10 shoebox of a dorm with another person and that dorm happens to be two miles away from the campus gym, how are you supposed to cook when you don't have a kitchen, work out when maybe you don't feel safe walking all the way across campus in the evening, which is when you have time to work out, and maybe you and your roommate have different sleep schedules or different homework schedules, and you're not getting enough sleep, or you know, you're overwhelmed with your workload and you're not getting enough sleep, or you're homesick and you're not getting enough sleep. All of these things just sort of pile up and really work against college students. And 
I, I did a podcast episode back at the very beginning of Feed That Nation talking about sort of all the ways college sets up students for failure in terms of nutrition and caring for themselves that way, but I'm going to leave that there and say that learning to take care of yourself is so challenging. College makes it more challenging, and the college situation and college culture makes that a lot more challenging. There's a concept that I learned in the context of health and wellness that I've sort of repurposed into internalizing how I self-care and take care of myself, and I mentioned it in my recent episode all about self-care for college students, and that is the concept of the seven dimensions of wellness. And this is just acknowledging that there are lots of different areas in our lives in which we need to engage ourselves and educate ourselves and care for ourselves in order to be well well-rounded well. And these seven seven dimensions of wellness, I kind of repurpose into, well, these are also aspects of our health. And they are physical wellness, emotional wellness, spiritual wellness, social wellness, environmental wellness, intellectual wellness, and occupational or work, career, job wellness. And that's a lot. And now I'm telling you, like, you need to learn how to care for yourself, and now you have to learn how to care for all seven dimensions of these within your lives in order to care for yourself. But a lot of these areas of wellness overlap and have a lot of overlap in the, in the sense that when you do one thing to care for yourself, it is caring for multiple dimensions of your wellness. Another challenge in addressing all seven dimensions of wellness when you're at college learning to care for yourself independently for the first time for most people is that college just on top of being different and not necessarily setting you up for success is just so all at once all new things you know new food new situation new people new schoolwork new job and all of that can be very overwhelming because we generally want to succeed in college. We want to do well. We want to feel comfortable and confident in our classes. We want to make friends that we like and that respect and like us back. We want to socialize. We want to have a great job and form great relationships with our professors. You know, we want to, in some cases, we want to party and have fun. We want to meet new people. Maybe we are interested in meeting romantic partners because of all of that wanting to do it all per se it's very easy to let actually taking care of yourself and prioritizing yourself fall to the wayside and this is where we hear a lot about burnout a lot about stress and anxiety a lot about feeling overwhelmed and feeling like it's all too much and that you can't ever do it all well guess what you're not supposed to be able to do it all no person does it all even though it seems like that a lot of the time, it really does. But when it comes back to taking care of yourself, taking care of yourself and managing and really nurturing all seven dimensions of your health and wellness will help you to be able to do more and feel more comfortable and more confident in doing more, if that is something you want. It can also, in learning how to take care of ourselves, make you realize that it's not so much that you want to do more, you don't need a quantity of activities and resume builders and friends, you want quality. You want an internship that really matters to you. You want to take classes that you love and are passionate about. You want friends that you can really invest in building emotional intimacy with and trust and support. 
So let's actually address how do you take care of yourself in college. And I'm going to break these ideas, suggestions, guidelines, if you will, into categories based on the dimension of wellness that they fit the most closely in. And I'm going to kind of just go down the list and discuss a little bit, but mostly just give you guys ideas of things you can be doing to care for yourself if you're not doing them already or ways that you can change how you're caring for yourself to allow yourself to be more well, more confident, more successful, more healthy. So the first dimension, physical wellness, and this is probably the one that comes most to mind in the literal sense of how do you take care of yourself. And so this one really starts with prioritizing the basics. You have to, in order to care for yourself, you have to prioritize getting enough water, drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, and eating enough food. And it sounds obvious, but this is one of these things that can really fall to the wayside. I feel like sleep and water were the two things I struggled most in my freshman year. I never carried a water bottle around with me, so I was always dehydrated and like kind of feeling tired and sluggish because of that. And then I wasn't great at prioritizing sleep, so again, I was tired a lot of the time. It's also important to prioritize regular movement or physical activity in ways that fit your schedule and your abilities. And I say that because a lot of people try to put very specific, you must go to the gym four times a week, you must do CrossFit, you have to lift, you have to run. And the truth is not everybody can and not everybody wants to do those things. And I think something we don't talk about a lot in college is that a lot of people have chronic illness or disability that we can't see, but that impacts their ability to stay physically active in the socially acceptable traditional sense of going to the gym, lifting, running, so forth. And that's why I say prioritize regular movement or physical activity in ways that fit your schedule and fit your abilities and fit your health status. And for that matter, prioritize guilt-free movement. You know, prioritize doing things that feel good, that bring you joy. On the flip side of that, it's also important to honor your body's physical limitations and to allow yourself and give yourself permission to rest when you need it. And a couple of examples here, I know that in a lot of college athlete culture, and I'm gonna call it out, and if this is you, I really encourage you to seek help, but a lot of college athletes and other sort of avid workout fitness buffs, especially women, tend to overtrain and undereat and feel guilty or feel shame when they don't work out or they skip eating vegetables or something like that. But I really encourage you, honor your body's physical limitations. Allow yourself to take guilt-free rest days when you need them. Another example of honoring your body's physical limitations is knowing that if you've had a really long day, you woke up early, you didn't sleep well the night before, you had class and then you had work, and now your friends are asking if you'll go to a party or something with them, if that's not going to be the best thing for your physical health, really think about that and consider maybe I will stay in tonight and go to bed early and sleep. You know, honor that. Honor what your body tells you. And that's a really tough topic and I acknowledge that. And again, if you are someone who struggles with feeling like you can take guilt-free rest days and honor your body's limitations, I'd encourage you to talk to somebody about that because you will be happier and more comfortable and more joyful when you can work out and rest joyfully. 
going along with this topic of sort of caring for yourself are two kind of two sides of the same coin. So one side of this coin is that you do need to eat satisfying, nourishing food in order for your body to function. Everybody's nutrition needs are different, obviously, but when I say satisfying, nourishing food, I do mean more than Cheetos and popcorn and dorm food. And the important thing is you need to eat satisfying, nourishing food, even if it's not your favorite food. You don't have to force yourself to eat things you hate, but sometimes you love chicken nuggets and french fries and the cafeteria has them, but maybe you choose chicken nuggets and salad or you choose salad and french fries and choose satisfying nourishing food that will serve your body's needs even if it isn't your favorite the flip side of this is that you absolutely should be able to enjoy treats or snack foods without feeling guilt or shame even if they are not nutritious what i'm really referring to here is a bigger concept kind of revolving around intuitive eating which is a lot more complicated and detailed than I feel like I want to get into in this particular podcast episode, but it's all about knowing what your body's needs and honoring both your body's needs and your desires. So physical health, I've covered the basics, sleep, food, water. I've covered joyful movement and rest. I think also a big piece of physical health is simply maintaining physical hygiene. And anyone who's ever struggled with a mental illness knows that this can be challenging, but a big part of taking care of yourself is to shower regularly, to put on clean clothes every day, to wash your face in the evening, get your makeup off, wash your face in the morning, freshen it up, brush your teeth regularly, those sorts of physical hygiene things. And for me, I know that I can tell I'm struggling more in my mental health when I find it really hard to prioritize showering or I find it really hard to prioritize washing my face in the morning, which if you're judging me, you're definitely neurotypical, so calm down. Another piece that goes along with physical hygiene is keeping up with your health and health care. And so this will look different for every person, like literally every single thing I've said on this list so far, but this generally means to keep up with your immunizations, go in for annual preventative screenings and exams, prioritize if you are injured, if you are sick and it's persistent and it's uncomfortable, painful, or it's impacting your ability to function in any way, or it's just making you unhappy, go to your, go to your healthcare provider or go to a healthcare provider. And then if you have been prescribed any medications, make sure that you are taking them and refilling them regularly or seeking additional care and support if these medications are not serving you. The last thing on my list of caring for your physical health is to think about the people in your life and work on avoiding spending time or energy with people who make you feel uncomfortable, ashamed, or unsafe about your abilities, about your appearance, about your health status, or about other aspects of you and your physical health or the way that you choose to care for yourself. This will be a common theme, but a huge part of taking care of yourself is surrounding yourself with people who don't make you feel crappy and who don't make you feel ashamed. So if there are people in your life who make you feel uncomfortable or unsafe, or ashamed of who you are, you do not need them in your life. You do not need to invest emotional energy or time or texting, or you don't need to follow them on social media. Like these people are not necessary for you to take care of yourself. These people are hurting your ability to take care of yourself. 
I'm very passionate about this topic, obviously. <laughs> when it comes to your emotional health, a lot of the things that support physical health also support emotional health for a variety of reasons, but there are more things that you can do to care for your emotional health. Two major things on the list for emotional health really apply the most to people who already have established that they have mental health issues or mental health diagnoses. And they are to take and refill your psychiatric or behavior medications regularly or to seek care when these medications are not doing what they're supposed to be doing and to schedule and attend therapy or counseling sessions as needed. They sound easy from the outset, I think, to people who haven't experienced these things, but it can be really challenging to simply remember to take and refill a medication, even if this medication is really important. And it can be challenging to schedule therapy appointments and to remember that remember when they are and to attend them. But these are both things that really should take top priority, and I encourage you to really place a lot of priority and importance into both of these things if they are relevant to you. Another big piece of emotional care falls into self-care. And I did a whole video on this. Again, I can link it below. But self-care and emotional health and wellness really go together, but it is your job in part of taking care of yourself to choose activities intentionally, be that Netflix, be that journaling, be it bubble bath, be it going on a walk. Choose these activities because you know they will benefit you and your emotional wellness rather than choosing them as the default because you don't want to do your homework and you would much rather just sulk and watch Netflix, you know? So intentionally choose self-care activities that are going to serve you. Another big part of caring for your emotional health is to invest in friendships and relationships with people in your life that support you and uplift you and are willing to be there to listen when you're having issues or offer you guidance when you need it. And the flip side of this is also honoring your own emotional boundaries and knowing what your limits and what your triggers are when other people need emotional support from you. And I have friends who are so, so good at this and I'm working on getting better at it myself, but if someone is having a big emotional problem or they're under a lot of stress or they're dealing with something very traumatic, Sometimes I really have to think about whether or not I myself am prepared to take on a little bit of that burden and prepared to hear them talking about it and prepared to be present for them. But sometimes I'm just not in an emotional place where I can take on someone else's burden. Maybe it's a particular topic that I'm not comfortable talking about or hearing about that would be triggering or uncomfortable for me. And so in those moments, I have to say, you know, I really appreciate what you're going for. I feel for you, but I need to care for my own emotional wellness right now. And I can't listen to what you're saying because it would hurt me. And if you're somebody who does seek out emotional support from others, one so considerate thing that you can do is to just say, hey, I'm having some issues with X and I would like to talk about it. Do you have space to listen to me right now? Everything I've mentioned is really kind of pieces of the puzzle in caring for your emotional health, but I think another big piece of it is acknowledging when you do need help and reaching out for help when you need it and making sure that you're taking regular time away and breaks from stressful situations in order to recharge, recuperate, and all of that is also going to help prevent burnout because breaks, time away, self-care, these are all things that are meant to help us recharge and lower our anxiety, lower our stress, and remove ourselves from stressful situations enough to be able to think and process more rationally. 
The last thing on my list for taking care of your emotional health in college is to consider the people around you and remove toxic people from your life who are bullying you, who gaslight or manipulate you, who make you feel ashamed or unsafe. Anyone who is harassing or abusing you certainly has no place in your life, but I understand these situations are often very complex and challenging and difficult, and I would encourage you, if you're in a situation like that, consider what steps you could take to get yourself out of it, and at least if you're not ready, be mindful of it. Be mindful of resources. Be mindful of people who are more positive and who are able to emotionally support you. And anyone in your life who makes fun of your mental health or the way you choose to care for your emotional and mental health has no business being in your life, being on your social media, being in your contacts. And I would really encourage you to think about how much energy you spend in interactions with them. And if that those interactions are not serving you, work to minimize them, work to remove the negativity. So that was kind of a heavy topic. Um, emotional health is certainly a huge, huge aspect of taking care of your overall health. Um, but let's move on to your spiritual health and your spiritual wellness, another dimension of wellness. And this one also does go back to choosing intentional self-care activities that you'll allow you to be mindful and reflect. And these can be things like meditation, these can be things like journaling, like yoga, like going for walks, whatever self-care allows you to kind of dig in and tap into your spiritual side, prioritize that in whatever ways it works for you. Another part of caring for your spiritual health is simply knowing, truly knowing what your morals, your beliefs, and your values are and standing up for yourself when you need to. While at the same time, on the flip side, allowing yourself to be challenged and educated and uplifted or inspired by people whose morals, beliefs, and values are not the same as yours. Because this is college, you are going to meet people and chances are you are going to meet people who are your complete opposite. Allow yourself to be uncomfortable and allow yourself to learn and be challenged. If you are not only a spiritual person, but a religious person and diving into your organized religion is something that brings you safety, comfort, and joy, 100% that should be part of your spiritual health. On the flip side, of course, a lot of these have flip sides. It's okay to acknowledge if there are aspects of the organized religion that you are most familiar with that are not serving your needs in the moment. Another part of your spiritual self-care could be taking the time to regularly listen to sermons or spiritual podcasts that allow you to take time to dig deep and challenge yourself and grow within yourself. And of course, the last aspect of caring for your spiritual health is to reflect on people in your life whose morals, whose values, whose beliefs make you feel unsafe or are harmful to people, to other people. Yeah, I'm just going to leave that there. Not bringing politics into it, but there, if there are people in your life whose morals and beliefs and values are in direct conflict with your health and safety, that's a problem. These people do not need to be in your life taking up your emotional, your spiritual space. And so I'd encourage you to think about ways to minimize your interactions with these people, whether it's unfollowing them on social media, choosing not to be friends with or see them, whatever the case may be. These people do not need to be bringing you down. And a part of your spiritual health is to encourage discomfort, but know where you stand in terms of what makes you safe. The fourth dimension of wellness is social wellness. 
And I think this one is so interesting because the more I started to think about what it means to be socially well or socially healthy, a lot of different things started to come up for me. And so I wanted to go over a lot of different aspects of what I think are important to consider when you think about taking care of your social wellness. The first and foremost of which is definitely to take time to connect with family and friends, go out with friends, build relationships, and continue to grow relationships with new people, with old friends, with family, with people who, like I said before, uplift you, educate you, inspire you, challenge you. Investing in social relationships is one of the most important things that we can do as college students because our friends can make or break our college experience, if I'm being completely honest. And I want you to surround yourself with people who are positive influences on your life. On the flip side, of course, because there's always a flip side, it's okay to choose not to spend time with friends if alone time to recharge and de-stress is what you need. For me, a big part of my social wellness is making the intentional choice not to gossip about or bully other people. And this could be in person, this could be, you know, texting a friend about another friend, this could be subtweeting, this could be anything under the sun, but really gossiping and bullying other people does not bring positivity into my life at all. And so I really work hard to make the choice not to do those things. Am I perfect at it? Absolutely not. And gossiping can be fun if I'm being completely real. But when I think about what brings positivity into my life, gossiping is not one of those things. And so I try really hard not to gossip myself and not to encourage other people to gossip. And again, complete work in progress. This is something that is very challenging to do. Honestly, gossiping usually just brings more negativity into my heart and into my head. So I don't want that. I feel like I can't talk about social wellness without talking about social media. So these things are all sort of related to social media. And that is choosing to post on social media only when you want to and not because you feel like you should or because you're concerned about the number of likes or shares or whatever. If you want to post on social media, great. It's a great tool to connect with others, but make sure that you're posting for reasons that bring you positivity and joy. Another side of social media is taking the time to turn off notifications and alerts on your devices so that you can be present in the moment with other people or just with yourself without distraction. Sometimes if I'm sitting down to journal, I actually will turn my phone on do not disturb or on airplane mode just because I know I will be tempted to check it rather than checking in with myself. On social media, if you're someone who scrolls through feeds or enjoys looking at what other people post, make sure that you're following people on social media whose messages are educational, inspiring, and uplifting to you and bring positivity to your feed. And of course, if there are people on your social media who bring messages, posts, photos that are harmful, that are hurtful, that are incorrect, or that just otherwise make you feel unsafe, unfollow them, mute them, block them, whatever you need to do. Even if these are people that are supposed to be your friends, if these people's social media feeds are bringing negativity into your heart, into your mind, onto your phone screen, they have no place being there. Social media is your space. It's an extension of where you spend time. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, but you do not need these people to be on your social media feed if they make you feel ashamed, guilty, unsafe, hurt, afraid. It's not necessary. And along those lines, of course, my last tip is going to be thinking about the people that you spend time with socially and thinking about minimizing your interactions, minimizing the energy you spend on people who 
gossip about you or encourage you to gossip about or bully others. Definitely minimize spending time with people who just don't make you feel good about yourself or who make you feel ashamed of who your friends are and who you are. (laughs) These people do not need to be in your life. When it comes to environmental wellness, I sometimes get a little stuck with this one because my interpretation of it is that environment is more than just green grass and forests. Really, your environment is the physical space around you. And so a lot of my tips for taking care of your environmental wellness have to do with that. And certainly they also have to do with being ecologically friendly, making sustainable choices, so forth and so on. But I feel like environment really is such a broad concept. And so that's why I've chosen to incorporate what I've chosen to incorporate. The first two things on my list for taking care of your environmental wellness include considering your carbon footprint on the world and considering where you can make sustainable changes that are reasonable, financially reasonable, and emotionally comfortable for you. This could mean choosing to mindfully recycle. This could mean choosing to take shorter showers or turning the lights off more often. This could mean a whole number of things. This could mean choosing to go vegan or choosing to buy products from fair trade dealers, this, anything and everything, but this does mean that these are choices that you want to make and that you can comfortably make. Another thing to go along with that is choosing and reflecting on the ability that you have to make ethical purchases. So kind of along the same lines as the carbon footprint, but if you can choose to eat less animal products and it's comfortable and it's reasonable for you, why not? If you can choose to spend your money on and with companies who support fair labor practices and paying their employees fairly, do it. And I feel like I really actually hate the expression that you pay with, that you vote with your dollar. But I feel like in this choice, it's sort of like choosing to care for yourself with your dollar because again, if you can and you have the money, these are nice things to do, especially if you want to. They're great for the planet. They're good for your health. A lot of the time, they're good for the health and safety of other people so forth and so on. There are also different aspects of the way you live your life that can allow you to care for your emotional wellness, such as taking the time to intentionally care for and maintain the items you own so that they last longer without needing to be replaced, intentionally choosing when it is safe and practical and reasonable to do so, to walk, ride your bike, or take public transit to get around instead of driving your car. And the third one is choosing to, when you can, where you can, use reusable bags, reusable food storage containers, reusable straws, reusable anything. But again, these choices have to be safe and practical and reasonable. And I think my biggest example with this one would be, yes, walking is going to be more environmentally friendly than driving your car to the grocery store, but if it's the middle of winter and the grocery store is like a mile away and it's nighttime, you do not need to walk a mile there and back at night in the winter to get your groceries. Of course, it is reasonable and practical to drive your car in those scenarios. Another huge aspect of environmental wellness is having to do with your actual physical space, your living spaces most most of the time. But caring for your environmental wellness in these spaces can involve keeping your spaces tidy and decluttered can involve keeping your spaces clean and keep can involve keeping your spaces sanitary and yes tidy clean and sanitary are different and maybe i'll go into that in a future podcast but basically this means 
washing your sheets and towels regularly, using a vacuum or a mop or a broom when you need to. Of course, with quarantine, we're all a lot more concerned about bacteria and germs, but making sure you're washing dishes as soon as you can and emptying trash cans frequently, wiping up spills as soon as they happen. And along with these things being good for your health, these are also really great things to do to keep pests from getting into your space. Mice and ants love spills and crumbs. So anything you can do to keep your space tidy, clean, and sanitary is going to prevent or minimize the risk of having an ant problem or a mouse problem. And yes, I was an RA. Mice and ants are a thing in college dorms. I don't care where you are, they are a thing. And they're gross and uncomfortable, but the more you can do to, again, tidy, clean, and sanitize your spaces, the less likely that you'll have a problem with them. And of course, my last tip for environmental wellness involves of course, reflecting on the people in your life and minimizing your interactions with people who bring you shame or make you feel pressured to make specific environmental choices outside of your financial ability or your emotional comfort. This might be your vegan friend who makes you feel guilty whenever you eat chicken, even though chicken is much more practical and tasty than whatever the vegan option is in the cafeteria. Or this could be people who make you feel uncomfortable or guilty when you choose to use plastic straws or disposable menstrual products. I mean, these people exist, and I feel like this example is maybe a little bit more out there than others, but people who make you feel guilty for the choices you make to care for your environmental wellness, they don't have any business being in your life any more than any of the other shitty people that I've mentioned who could be in your life. So the last two dimensions of wellness are intellectual wellness and occupational or work wellness. And I've actually combined these two because I feel like in college, a lot of times our intellectual wellness and our occupational wellness are kind of one in the same. A lot of times we're studying the same thing that we have a job in and our intellectual ambitions have a lot to do with our eventual occupation. So that's why I've kind of like combined these two into one category. And this, if anything, is honestly <laughs> both the aspect of taking care of yourself that gets focused on the most, but also it's the aspect of taking care of yourself that a lot of people don't realize is part of caring for your health and wellness. Because in college, of course, of course we wanna do well in our classes, of course we want to be academically enriched, of course we wanna participate in professional development opportunities and grow relationships with our mentors and our coworkers and everything. But at the same time, we have to balance our academic ambitions, our academic wellness, with the fact that these things can be stressful and these things can burn us out and make us feel anxious. So number one on my list for academic wellness is to intentionally take the time to complete your homework and your readings or your classes when you don't want to, even when you don't want to, even if you don't feel like it. And this was honestly such a game changer for me when I figured out how to self-care for myself was I did not ever realize that sometimes doing homework is better self-care than binge watching Netflix. It's the truth. And another aspect of academic wellness is sometimes we need to prioritize study time, academic enrichment, or professional development opportunities or work priorities over social opportunities and over fun or leisure activities. Not always, sometimes it is actually more important to spend time with your friends than it is to spend an extra hour studying up for a test, but it is important to acknowledge that in college, 
our academic ambitions are so important and any time that we can invest in studying, in attending lectures or seminars, in attending professional development workshops, in cultivating positive work relationships and working on meaningful work projects, these are all things that are going to benefit us. I think another huge part of caring for your academic wellness is learning to plan ahead, manage your time effectively, and take breaks when you need to, and do all of the other things that you need to do, self-care and all of that, to avoid stress and burnout. I'm not gonna say that we are the cause of our own stress and burnout, but a lot of times, if we are more mindful about the opportunities that we say yes to, when maybe we should actually say no, and you know, sometimes we plan ahead great, and sometimes we plan ahead really poorly, and we end up having like three exams in the same week, or two big papers due in different classes on the same day. And neglecting to plan ahead and allow ourselves adequate time to do assignments and manage time effectively and take breaks when we need is such a huge, huge factor in feeling stressed and burned out. So part of self-care is to figure out how do I learn best what do I need to do to plan ahead and manage my time effectively? What do I need to say no to in order to have enough time to function and get my work done with minimal stress and no burnout or little burnout? Going back to how important it is to prioritize doing the readings and homeworks and other requirements for your coursework, it's important even if we don't feel like it, sometimes a part of our academic wellness is to do more than the bare minimum, to really invest our time into the material and the experience of the course. Obviously not all the time, I fully acknowledge that some courses are not taught well, are not set up to be fun or engaging, but more often than not, if you do invest more than the bare minimum, you will get more out of the experience. Something that I've had to work really hard on throughout my college experience is this idea of valuing my time and my labor as it applies to projects and especially as it applies to work. Your time is valuable, your work is valuable, and your experience is valuable, and you have to learn how to value that in terms of asking for a raise or refusing to take on certain projects because you know that you're overqualified for them. This means sometimes if you're a freelancer, charging what you're worth for your goods or services. This also means setting boundaries, saying, you know, I really don't feel like I can volunteer with this organization or give my time to this project because my time is valuable and my time is needed elsewhere. This also means, and I feel like this is a very millennial thing, maybe it's a Gen Z thing too, but if let's say you have a work study position that pays you 15 hours a week, do not work more than 15 hours a week unless you know that you are going to be guaranteed overtime. This applies to full-time jobs too. If you do not get overtime, do not work overtime. This is a huge part of valuing yourself, valuing your time and your labor, is not letting companies and businesses exploit you. I'm so passionate about this, and I know exploit sounds like a really strong word, but honestly, businesses don't care about you. Your coworkers might care about you, your boss might care about you, but the business as a whole does not care about you. <laughs> and so if you are not getting paid to do work for a place that you are employed, do not do the work. Set your boundaries, know your limits, value your time and labor. Ugh, I could do a whole podcast just on that topic because I'm so passionate about it. Whew, okay, wrapping up academic wellness, I think another huge aspect of academic wellness is investing time in professional development. This could mean reading professional development books, watching TED Talks on professional development, 
could mean watching a webinar, and it could definitely, definitely mean taking 30 minutes every couple of months to update your link LinkedIn and connect with a few other people, add a few things to your digital resume, any and all of that. It also means cultivating positive professional relationships with coworkers and classmates, supervisors, and mentors. And this could mean maybe seeking out and getting to know people who could be your mentors. And that's really scary, and maybe I'll do a video on that someday as well, but cultivating positive professional relationships is by far one of the best things that you can do for your academic wellness. Now my final, final tip for academic wellness is, surprise, surprise, evaluating and reflecting on the people in your life and thinking about minimizing your interactions with people who do not bring positivity to your academic wellness. This could be people who encourage you to skip out on studying to go party or people who encourage you to find a sub at work so that you can do X other thing. Maybe this is people who just don't take your work ambitions or your academic ambitions seriously. Maybe these are people who mooch off your homework or your study guides or who expect you to do all the work in your group projects. Obviously, if it's a group project, like you can't just like get rid of these people forever, but really think about how much time and energy you're investing into people who are not bringing positivity to your academic wellness and your life and minimize them. Whew. All right, that was a lot of information. This podcast is probably going to be like an hour long. I'm cool with it. I'm here for it. If you're still here at this point, thanks for being here. Hi, mom. And I just wanted to wrap it up and say that I've actually combined, collaborated, collected all of the things I've just provided to you as ways to take care of yourself as a college student, taking care of yourself as a college student 101, whatever this episode ends up being called. And I've combined them into a blog post, which I will link below, feedthatnation.com. And if you're interested in reflecting on any of these, sharing that blog post or this episode with a friend, please, please do. One last thing, caring for yourself, like I said at the beginning, looks different for every single person. Every single person is at a different place in their life when they come to college and have to learn how to take care of themselves. There are people who come to college and they've already had to care for themselves for several years. And there are people who come to college and they literally have never had to care for themselves before. Everyone is at a different place in their life experience, and that's why taking care of yourself is going to look different for every single person. And that's okay. That is totally okay. That is totally normal. Totally okay. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Feed That Nation. If you have, please go ahead and subscribe to me on YouTube, leave me a thumbs up on this video, and leave me a comment below. It helps me out so much. If you're listening on a podcast platform, please go ahead and subscribe to me over there and leave me a review, five-star rating if you are able. Remember to go follow me on Instagram. I am at FeedThatNation. Check out my blog, FeedThatNation.com. Follow my boards on Pinterest. All links are below. Until next time, my name is Natalie Nation and you're listening to Feed That Nation. Have a great day and I'll talk to you soon.